We've been in a series, the gospel to women, right? The good news, the good news proclaimed to women, right? Because Jesus, as we seen last week, last week was Mother's no, two weeks ago was Mother's Day. Last week he had an awesome message by Pastor Tom on being kind. Huh? Have you been kind this last couple weeks? Should I ask your spouses or your neighbors or your kids, right? You have kindness in you, right? Kindness is, you don't have to ask God, help me to make, make me more kind, Lord. Help me be more kind. No, it's the fruit of the Spirit that's already in you. It's already, it's already yours. Ain't that awesome? Anyways, I won't preach this message again. But, uh, but two weeks ago was Mother's Day, and uh, we went through the Gospels, and we seen how Jesus was a wrecking ball to society and culture when it came to women he brought liberty to women he brought freedom to women and we i believe with all i believe with all my heart that women are going to be a mighty player in the third great awakening in this world in this world we have a culture if you've noticed that has degraded and downplayed a person's opinion like me. A white, heterosexual male. Right? That my opinion has no value. And that's fine. I'm going to keep giving my opinion. Or I'm going to keep giving you the word. Right? But what culture doesn't realize is they haven't seen our women. They haven't seen the daughters of God yet. Filled with the Holy Spirit and power. Right? And I believe that they're going to be rise, raising up like never before. And I've had more and more things that have just been confirming, confirming this. When we were out at, at uh, Karis Bible College for the graduation, third year students and everything, there was more women graduating than men. God is calling women into the ministry. Amen? That's good news, right? Because for too long, half of the body of Christ has been put on the sidelines. And what God has called, we, the church, men, have disqualified. And we need to repent from that. And so last week, we were looking at how Jesus was a wrecking ball to the culture of His day. And actually, he still is, to this day, the wrecking ball to culture. And this is no exception. Uh, it's, it, he makes no exception when it came to the partnership of men and women. Jesus Christ showed us what the kingdom of God was to look like. Jesus showed us what the kingdom of God looked like. Wherever Jesus went, men and women followed Jesus. This was highly unusual in that day. In Jesus' day, women did not follow men that were not their husbands. And I, I can't repeat the last, me, the, the last message, but we know that Jesus discipled women. He taught, he taught women the Word of God. That was, that was against the rules of, of that day. In Jesus' day, they didn't follow men except their husbands. But they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. Jesus 
modeled something that the world had never seen. He modeled a church where women served alongside men as equal partners in the gospel. Just like before the fall with Adam and Eve. They were partners to have dominion and rule over the earth. Right? And in the fall, Eve lost her voice, but at the resurrection, Jesus gave it back to her. And He said, go tell My disciples that I have raised from the dead. The very first person that, that Jesus showed Himself to as the resurrected Christ was women. Right? The very first person that Jesus revealed Himself to, to as I am the Christ. He literally told her, I'm the Christ, was a woman at the well that had been married seven times. And then He commissioned her to go back into Samaria and tell them who He was. And the whole city believed on Him. Amen. So I left you kind of hanging at our last, last message. I said, if Jesus, if G, if Jesus um, modeled that women were equal in ministry as men were, why then did He choose 12 male apostles? Why did He 12, pick 12 men to be the leadership in His, in his ministry? Well, that's easy. That's simple. See, Jesus appointed 12 men not because Jesus was sexist, but because His listeners were. First century Jews would not have listened to women in the same way that they listened to Peter and John. I mean, after all, you can't change the world overnight, can you? I mean, look at us now. The fact is, we're 2,000 years later and I'm still having to preach a message like this. So the next question is, is what did the apostles think of women in ministry? Did they partner with them? Did they let them preach and teach? That's what we're going to start investigating over the next couple weeks. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says, they all, say all, joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and His brothers. All of them got together for prayer meetings. And in case you were confused because of the culture, it was all the women too. See, for us, after Jesus ascended, the, the 11 remaining apostles along with the, uh, the, the women devoted themselves to prayer. And this is the first hint that the New Testament church would continue in the model that Jesus showed them. To us, this prayer meeting isn't no big deal. But this was the first prayer meeting after Jesus rose from the dead. And it was a huge leap forward for women. Men and women praying together. That would, that would have never happened before Jesus. Women were not being forced behind some dividing wall, listening through the wall, and men weren't sticking their fingers in their ear so they couldn't hear the women praying. They were all together 
in one accord. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. All of them together in one place. And suddenly a noise like a violent rush, rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves. And a tongue rested on each one of them. On all of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak out. They were able to speak out because the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak out. Not because some man says, okay, I'm your covering, you can speak out. Again, we see believers together in one place, all the disciples, both male and female, and they began speaking in tongues. The crowd gathered to watch this spectacle. You know, it's something like this has never, ever happened before. What did this all mean? And what does Peter do? He stands up and he gives an explanation. And what is the explanation? In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it says, And it shall be in the last days, God says that I will pour out my Spirit on all, say all, mankind. And your sons, say sons, and your daughters, say daughters. They will what? Prophesy. How can your daughters prophesy if they're supposed to remain silent in church? And your young men will... Um, see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. They will proclaim the word of the Lord. This is good news. Peter explained, explained that God was bringing change. There's a new thing happened. The curse is broken. And the kingdom of God is being manifest in our midst. And women were to remain silent and hidden no longer. From now on, they would be treated as equal partners in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus showed the way on the day of Pentecost. The new church embraced God's plan for partnership. And the results were instant and dramatic. In Acts chapter 5, verse 14, and increasingly believers, uh, increasingly believers in the Lord, large numbers of men and women were being added to their number. Thousands of Judean men and women were turning to Jesus like never before. But do you know what the most dramatic sign of women's participation in the new church was? This right here. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, but Paul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and he would drag away men and women and put them in prison. See, this Pharisee called Saul began throwing women in prison. That's See, prior to Pentecost, women were never arrested. They never did anything. And understand, 
being thrown in prison wasn't so you could have a long trial, a long sentence. It was to be sentenced to your punishment, which usually meant death. Women never did anything. Remember when Jesus was crucified? All his male disciples ran and fled in fear. But the women stayed. The women were at the cross. The women weren't hiding in the house. They were going to visit Jesus' tomb. But the, and the reason why this was is because in the eyes of the religious leaders of those days, they weren't seen as a threat. They weren't a threat. But the, by the time of Saul, Christian women had become active partners in the gospel. And because of this, they were rounded up and imprisoned along with the men. There was a there was just not lions in the, in the church. There was lioness in the church. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters for, from him to the synagogue of Damasc- in Damascus so that, he, so that if he found any belonging to the way, whether men or women... He might bring them in shackles in Jerusalem. See, Saul was an equal opportunist persecutor. If you were proclaiming the name of Jesus, if you were a threat to their religious systems, their man-made religious systems, they were going to put an end to it, whether you were a male or a female. And many years later, Paul would, or Saul, who becomes Paul, would say that he persecuted this way to death and was responsible for putting both men and women into prisons. It's reasonable to conclude that Saul, who later became Paul, was, the, was responsible for the murder of many men and women Christians. So why kill women? Why kill women in a day in a day when women had no legal authority? They were seen as property. They they had no voice. Why why kill women? There's only one explanation. After Jesus, women found their voice and after Pentecost Women stepped up, and those who became partners in Jesus' ministry also became partners in his, in his martyrdom. The women of, the, of, of, of the, the, the first church were mighty women filled with the Holy Ghost and power. So you, you all, we all know Paul's conversion here. And Paul got, gets converted by Jesus Christ. And up to that point, he persecuted both male and female. And he was a devout Pharisee, right, from the tribe of Benjamin. 
a Hebrew of Hebrews. What did Paul think of women? What did Paul think of women? Well, in the last chapter of Romans, Paul identifies 29 people. Some he just greets. Others, he, re, they receive special acknowledgement and praises from Paul. Women, if I did my math right, women make thir- up 30% of those 29 people. Of the men that Paul identifies, 74% of them were merely greeted, where 80% of the women were praised. The women in the Roman church were not second-class citizens. In Paul's eyes, they were equal, and they were doing praiseworthy work. Seeing that Paul praised more women than men, we might even conclude that the women in the Roman church were doing the lion's share of the ministry. A lot like a lot of churches today. In Romans chapter 16, verse 8, it says, Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. In verse 12, greet, forgive me, Typhina and Typhosa, Typhosa, Mufasa. (laughs) Workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard for the Lord. Paul names four women who worked hard for the Lord. What sort of work do you think they did? They did the same work Paul did. That's what Paul was doing. He was getting the church to be like him. They did the same work Paul did. They taught, they preached the gospel. That's the work of the ministry. That's the work of the ministry. What else would Paul, why else would Paul praise their, their labors? Think about that. What, they're in the Bible. And Paul spends his time and effort, and, God, and Holy Spirit has kept that available to us throughout since it was written to, to today. Why would we think that they were doing anything other than preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? No one else in Scripture acknowledged the ministry of women to the degree Paul did. It's true that some Scriptures penned by Paul have been misused to oppress women. And yes, I promise, we're going to Go through all those scriptures. We're leading up to it. It won't be next Sunday because Pastor Tom's preaching. But the following Sunday, mark your calendars. We are going to see, did Paul really tell the church of Corinth that women are to remain silent in church? You want to find out? Show up. But Paul was actively oppressed to discrimination of any kind. 
He never treated women as second class or inferior. Instead, he made counterculture proclamations like this one. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. It, it boggles my mind in this day and age, and I, it, well, I shouldn't even go here probably. There are, there are some Christians that, that, that wish, that hold the, the, Jewish, the, the, Jew, the Jewish race up as superior to all, all, all races. There's, listening to some Christians talk, they almost make it sound like they wish they could be Jewish. The Jews were only special for one reason. And that's because of Jesus. That the Messiah, God chose to bring the Messiah through that group of people. It's no longer about our races. It's all about Jesus. And Paul says here, it's not about you being a Jew. It's not about you being a Greek. Stop thinking that way. It's not about you being a male. It's not about you being female. It's not about you being a slave. It's not about, about you being free. We have all been made equal, one in Christ Jesus. Male privilege has no place in the new creation. All people, regardless of race, status, gender, are equal value in the family of God. Although men and women are biologically different, amen, right? We, we, have, we have a culture that's confused on that. We are different, right? They are equal in the grace of Jesus, right? The grace of Jesus is the same on all of them. Can a woman preach? Can a woman lead? Can they do the things that men do? Well, if they're equal, they can. What? If we're one, why not? Right? It's time for the church to wake up. Some argue, yes, we're all equal. We all have equal value, but that does not mean we have equal roles. Women are equally important as men, but they can't do the same things as men. Well, that didn't work. But anyways, right? Have you heard that before? You're equal, but you, you can't do what we do. Right? It is true that within the body of Christ, there are different members that perform different functions, but our role is determined by the call of Holy Spirit, the call of God on our life, not by our gender. Amen. And those that have been qualified by God should not be disqualified by men. In Romans chapter 12, verse 6, it says, However, since we all have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, why, are our, why do we have gifts? Because they've been graced to us by God. Right? And God gives the gifts, right? Each of us 
is to use them properly. If prophesy, it does not say if a man gets prophesy and a woman doesn't get prophecy. It says if prophecy in proportion to one's faith, if service in the act of serving, or the one who teaches in the act of teaching, or the one who exhorts in the work of exhortation, the one who gives with generosity, and the one who is in leadership with diligence, and the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Paul wrote these words to a church filled with active women. We just read about it, how he praised them for their hard work in the ministry. Right? And he doesn't disqualify them from the grace of God and the gifts of God. Could, could this be the reason that women were so active in the Roman church? Because Paul had encouraged them to operate in their God-given gifts and callings? Among the apostles, there is no greater encourager of women except maybe one Peter who wrote this. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. He's saying the same thing that Paul said, a little bit more flowery actually. Whoever speaks is to do it as one who speaks actual words of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. My goodness, right throat. Peter, here, a Jewish man raised under the old law-keeping covenant, the old which the old covenant was racist. Do you know that? Well, at least the Jews made it racist. They thought they were the superior race. Right? But through Abraham, they said that all nations shall be blessed through you. Right? And it was sexist. Why? Because they participated in all the other cultures of that day of patriarchy and male privilege and degraded and downplayed and, and kept... We already read all that. We already went through all that as women as second-class citizens. But the new covenant is neither. Peter understood that gender distinctions are irrelevant to the ministry of Holy Spirit. Peter never says that the gift of speaking is only for men and that women must remain silent. He says, each of you, if anyone. Right? If God has gifted you, speak! Speak as though you were speaking the very words of God. And let no one silence you. Isn't it interesting when you read the Bible and you, and you just look for certain things, how, it, how things that you've never seen just pop, pop out? See, Peter was encouraging women to speak up and Paul, and, and while Paul, that was at that time Saul, 
was locking them up for doing so. Then Paul saw the light. He began walking in the Spirit and embraced that koinonia partnership of all believers. He understood that the body of Christ needs every part, male and female, to function properly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul wrote this, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Has the church been saying that to parts of the body of Christ? We don't need you. You keep silent. On the contrary, it is much truer that all the parts of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those parts of the body which are considered less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our less presentable parts become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable parts have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the part which lacked so that there may be no division in the body, but that the parts may have the same care for one another. And if one part of the body suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And I'm here to tell you that the body of Christ has suffered because we have over half the body of Christ that has not been able to walk in their calling that God has placed on their life. If a part is honored, all the parts rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individual parts of it. See, koinonia is joint participation. It's the, share, it's, it's, it's the share which one has in everything. Right? A gift jointly contributed, a collection, a contribution. It, it identifies and idealizes the state of fellowship and unity that should exist within the Christian church the body of Christ. There is no separation in the body of Christ. We, we are all one in His body. And He puts each member into the body of Christ as He wills. So who are we to say that we have no need of you? How do we practice koinonia in the body of Christ? How do we have this one, this unity? How do we have this fellowship? By having equal concern for one another and recognizing the gifts of God on each other. How do we sabotage koinonia? By telling women they don't have the same rights and opportunities as men do. So did any of the other apostles support women in the early church besides Peter and Paul? Well, at least four of them. Right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John filled their gospels, their gospel books with the words and deeds of women. In the Old Testament, women hardly ever had speaking parts. Have you ever noticed that? Just in just in a few few instances where they just pushed their way to the front and made their voice heard. You see women speaking, but it's, the Old Testament is mostly written about men. But the Gospels, it seems like they suddenly found their voice, as we looked at a couple weeks ago. And what's interesting is that each Gospel writer opens their Gospel with a womanly tale. In John's Gospel, we, we hear Mary telling Jesus, um, trying to get Jesus to reveal his true nature to everyone. 
in Luke, he begins his with Mary and Elizabeth marveling at the imminent arrival of the Messiah. In the first chapter of Mark, we learn how Jesus physically touched a woman, which was against culture and against the, the norms of religious laws of that day. And He healed a sick woman. Matthew outlines Jesus' family tree, but then Matthew makes a startling announcement that Jesus' mother was unmarried at the time of her pregnancy. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found with child conceived through the Holy Spirit. In the eyes of the religious leaders and the people of that day, she would be considered a fornicator. But Matthew put his reputation on the line and said, no, she was not. She was not a fornicator. Matthew says she would says that she was no such thing, and he puts his reputation on the line and says that she was the, the virginal mother of the Messiah as foretold by prophecy. These men would not, if, if, if these men were like normal rabbis and Greek philosophers of their day, they would have never included those stories about Jesus talking to women, befriending women, discipling women, and commissioning women. You don't understand how rare that is. If you, if, you, if you look at writings of history of that day, we went through the philosophies, the, the Greek philosophers and what they said about women. I, I was going to take you into the early church fathers and, and show you what they thought about women because they based their theology more on the philosophies of men rather than the Word of God. That's where we get a lot of our terrible teaching that's in the body of Christ today. It's not based on the Bible. It's based on Greek philosophy, the philosophies of this world. But I'm not, I'm not going to take you down that road. You can look it up yourself. So, these men understood God's heart for humanity and His plan for partnership. So they, ele- they elevated women and, 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 and uh, became leaders, and, and these women became leaders in a revelation, revolution that's continued today. So we're just, we just basically touched on some brief scriptures today in the, in the New Testament talking about women being involved in ministry. And it's going to be fun in, in two weeks from now when we go through and look at all the Scriptures, I'm going to take you through Scripture after Scripture that talks about women speaking and ministering in the body of Christ. And do you know how many Scriptures are in the Bible that says women are not supposed to speak in church and they're, not spo- they're supposed to be taught at home by their husbands? You know how many times that's said? One Scripture. And you will see that Paul, even though he penned that, he never said he he said no such thing. And I and I hopefully have you guys went home and read it, First Corinthians chapter fourteen. Go home and read it. Hopefully the Holy Spirit just says, "Oh, it's easy to see." Just read the very next word after after it. 
I don't want to give it away. I want to, but I don't. Listen, church. We 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 got to take the lid off the box on our women. And some of you men know what I'm talking about. God is calling women in this day, in this age, in, in this hour, to do to do mighty things for the kingdom of God. And we 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 got we got to. Cut the chains. We got to let them speak out. They have opportunities to speak into, into situations that, like I said, the culture has tried to put us on the sidelines. And, and, and we, seem, we are irrelevant. And our very voice, they disregard. But like I said, wait till they see our women. Wait till they see the daughters of God. Amen? Amen. There, there's a mighty move coming. And the church has to be ready for it. And we we gotta, we got to get to where we are biblical, that we represent the kingdom of God the way that Jesus represented the kingdom of God. And, and in Jesus' way, the way that Jesus represented the kingdom of God, there was no division between male or female. There was, he went to Samaritans. He, he, he went to, he, he healed um, uh, Gentiles that weren't even under the, under the, under the Old Testament covenant. But they reached by faith. That's why he said to the Roman centurion and, 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 the, and the Gentile woman whose daughter was vexed and sick with a um, demonic spirit. He says, I've never seen such great faith. Why? Because they reached into the future. They reached into the new covenant. They seen who Jesus was. And they, even though they didn't have a covenant with, with, with God through the Old Testament, they knew who Jesus was and they reached into faith and took what was theirs before it was rightfully theirs. Right? Jesus is no respecter of persons. He, he, he says that anyone that comes to Him, He will not turn them away. And, and, and there, is a, there is a mighty move that's, that's coming. I, I believe with all my heart. And, and women, we cannot afford to have half of the church, more than half of the church sidelined in this next great awakening. We need all hands on deck. We need all hands filled with the Holy Spirit and power. We need all hands be- ministering to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We need all hands proclaiming the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of our Lord. And by faith, I say it's going to happen. Amen? Amen. That's good. I love you guys. Thanks for being such awesome people. Let's uh, pray and then we'll close worship. If you need prayer today, um, don't hesitate. Don't go out those doors without getting prayer. Um, that, that, that's part of the body of Christ is coming together and, and uh, putting jumper cables on one another and, and uh, charging each other up with, with Holy Spirit. So let's, let's pray and, and we'll close in Jesus' name. Father, we just thank You. We thank You for the Word of God. We thank You for the examples that these men of God were Peter, Paul, James, or, or John, Luke, Mark, Matthew, Jesus. How how they were so fearless in knocking down cultural norms and be, bringing a wrecking ball. And we thank you for their example that we can see how you intended the kingdom of God to be, how you intended the kingdom of God to flow, how you intended the body of Christ to work together 
in unity and in harmony and, 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 and understanding that we need each one of us. Each one of us plays a, ma- a major role in Your kingdom. So Father, we thank You. We thank You that as we exalt women today as men, we don't feel less because You have exalted us, Lord. We are equal. We are on equal playing grounds. We are all equal in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Father, we thank You that Your kingdom has come and that Your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to be the body of Christ that in this place and in this time and in this sphere of influence that we can do mighty things and bring the glory of the kingdom in the name of Jesus. We love You, we praise You, and we celebrate You. In Jesus' name, Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www. 